500 years is a very, very, very long time. And uh, to celebrate as a church 500 years of reformation uh, and God's pouring out through his word and by grace alone, through faith alone, through God's word alone is a very, very special thing. I'm just thinking, I mean, I remember way back in high school talking about one day we will celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And in college, talking about one day we will celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And in seminary, oh, we talked about it a lot. And here we are. And, you know, that that dream of what would it look like for the church to be 500 years in, and and really more than that, because you think about it, what is the Reformation but a restoration to what the early church knew and knew so well. And how over time the church fell away uh, from those clear teachings of what God teaches about himself and what really truly matters. God's word alone, faith alone, grace alone. You know, one of the the dreams of most Lutheran pastors is to have that opportunity uh, to go to to Germany and walk in the steps of Luther and, and visit some of the sites that were so significant in those early days of the Reformation in the, the 1500s. And one of those sites is, of course, the, the, the Castle Church in Wittenberg, where Luther spent much time preaching and spent time in one of those sites that on any Reformation tour, that Castle Church is one of the main stops. And uh, a friend of mine, actually, he's coming in this afternoon, Pastor Bill Yonker, some years ago, had an opportunity to go to Germany. Some of you have heard this, and, and it it was one of those great moments where a pastor is asked by somebody in his congregation, hint, hint, um, would you like to go with me to Germany, pastor? And, and how do you answer that? Well, he thought about it for about five seconds and said, absolutely. And, and the context of it was a, a member of his congregation named Alan was picking up a BMW that he had purchased and had made and and apparently if you buy one they have that option you can fly to Germany and actually pick it up from the factory and drive it around Germany before it gets shipped back to the US I'm sure that comes at a very reduced cost hint joke okay but it was that was the reason for the trip and he says pastor I'd like you to come with me not only to to be my companion and driving around Germany in my new BMW uh, but also, we can stop in Wittenberg if you'd like. And Pastor Yonker's like, absolutely, I'm, I'm on, and let's go. And so they go on this trip, and it just so happened that the flight that they made it into Germany uh, was pretty late at night by the time they arrived in Wittenberg. Uh, late meaning like 11 o'clock midnight to the point only pubs were kind of open, and they were sort of closing at that point too on a Sunday. And... Uh, they thought, well, nonetheless, we have to see the sights. And, and so they, they went to uh, take a look at the castle church and to be able to at least be on the front steps. And to Pastor and Alan's horror, it is covered and was covered in scaffolding and, and a construction fence around the perimeter and, and just the uh, dashed hopes of being able to draw near to this historic building and, and the overwhelming sense of, No, how can this be? We've traveled all this way, and it's covered as a construction site. And that's when Pastor Yonker says, I don't care. We're going in. And and they started climbing over the construction fences, chain-link fences, and uh, drawing closer and, and climbing the scaffolding nonetheless. And I'm just thinking, these are not small men. 
and not young men either. At the time, like 50-ish years old and uh, scaling a construction fence, going near it. And, and as they go up the scaffolding, trying to get a look through, uh, through the canvas that was covering the, the facility and, and trying to close, get closer, that's when Alan saw a balcony. It's like, hey, maybe that door's open. He actually jumps five to six feet from the scaffolding, four flights up, to get onto a balcony, and the door's locked. And, and that's when... Uh, they hear the whoop, whoop, and, and they look down, and there's a spotlight shining up at them. Because now the police have arrived, and as they shout out, Achtung, Achtung, you know, in German, attention, and they said some other things in German that they didn't quite understand, but they knew this, they were busted, right? So they lumbered down the scaffolding, lumbered back over the fence, to meet two police officers shining flashlights in their faces who suddenly looked very alarmed, saying, you're old, not young. (laughs) And thankfully, one of them spoke enough English to understand, as Pastor Yonker explained, you have to understand, I'm an American Lutheran pastor. It has been my life dream uh, to be near and see the Castle Church here in Wittenberg. And so we, we apologize if we've caused any offense. Truly, Truly, it's just been a life hope of mine to be near the castle church. And the police officers looked at each other and looked back at them. Well, then why are you trying to get into our courthouse? (laughs) Yeah. Because uh, sometimes we can climb the wrong things, can't we? And, And be very mistaken in what really matters. And it happens all the time. Think about in our day, and it's been true in every day, the things that people attempt to climb, the dreams that we have that we think really matter and and are what life is all about. What is it you are climbing today? What kind of fence have you been scaling and thinking that's what really matters because it's your dream? They call it the ladder of success, right? And we, we try climbing it. We, we think that if only I get the next promotion, if, if only I, I get to that next level in income, then we'll be financially secure. Then I will finally have arrived and, and can be happy with my life. And, and the reality is, for most people I've talked to on that ladder of success, it's never enough. And that's the deception of it all. We think that will give us value if only we get to that next level. And and so what happens? We work longer and harder hours and you add technology into the mix of that and you're never off work because you're always accessible. And and what's what's really the price of that? Often the price of it is our families. Many times often the price of that is even our own souls where we compromise more and more with our time and our efforts and maybe even our integrity. What are you climbing today? Maybe that scaffolding for you appears more like health and well-being or just trying to stay healthy and and trying to eat right and and stay in shape and and do everything you can to to make it on that next doctor's exam or or appear to be strong enough and healthy enough and pretty enough, handsome enough. Reality is growing old is not easy. And that next product that promises to get rid of wrinkles and that next uh, infomercial about how this ab uh, product is going to help just change our life for the better. 
and all the empty promises and all the hopes and desires that by how we appear and how we feel will define us. What are you climbing when we think our value is based on how we look? Maybe it's based on what people think of us is the latter. And, and, and we say the right things and, and try to impress people. We, we maybe put on airs of confidence and, and airs of everything's wonderful in my life. I got it all figured out and at home or in our lives and our minds and our hearts. We're a mess. But it's all about putting that f- superficial fake front onto everyone around us and we're climbing that ladder of impression. If you're a parent, Maybe the ladder you've been climbing is just that ladder of guilt, of always wondering if you've done enough, been there enough, taught them enough, cared enough, focused enough. And when is enough ever enough? You know, these are just some examples of things that can define us that can seek to, to be our focus in life, and, and, and we can think, this is what makes me who I am. And, and you know what? It's I think it is kind of inherent in all of us is we are built and wired to think that we are rated based on how we perform in any given moment, in any given area of our life. It's how we're wired. It's to think it's performance that builds value. I mean, after all, it happens on football fields and basketball courts. It, it, it happens in business. It, it happens in many fam- families where we are rated and judged based on how we perform. And, and why wouldn't it then, it makes sense, be that way with God? And many people climb that scaffolding to try and draw near to God thinking, if only I'm strong enough, if only I'm smart enough, if only I'm faithful enough, if only I can do the right things in the right way or dress in the right way appropriately, then I will be loved by God. Our thinking is what you do merits what you are in God's eyes as well. It's kind of inherent in how we think and how we act, sometimes even how we talk. But what if that were actually wrong? And scripture is actually pretty clear on this. Think about what, what Romans says about this. Romans 3, 23 to 24. For, read it with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Stop there. Now, what's that mean? Who's included in all? <laughs> A pretty easy answer. Everyone, right? All have sinned. It doesn't say some people have sinned. Those outside the church have sinned. Uh, or those who, who lived before uh, the Reformation have sinned. No, it, it includes all of us. For all have sinned and fall short. It, the reality here is we cannot climb tall enough and far enough and be perfect enough. Because that's what we're talking about really when it comes to if we're trying to earn our keep in God's kingdom, if we're thinking it's by meriting that or earning it or deserving it, it's going to demand perfection. And the reality is for all of us, and we know this when we're honest, we all fall short. We have not climbed high enough, and we have not been strong enough. We have not been smart enough or pretty enough or handsome enough or successful enough when it comes to the things of God. That is, if we're going to try to earn it. Because God's word makes it clear. We've fallen short. But are justified, Paul goes on, freely 
by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's quite a contrast there, really. Justified freely. How much does that cost us? And the reality is, he's saying it is free. Well, wait, how can that be free to be justified? Isn't it something I earn by being a good person? Isn't that how it works? We're climbing the wrong fence here. When a God comes among us and says, it's by grace, we're freely justified by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Grace, among the Greeks, uh, meant this, unmerited favor, literally. Someone who is not strong enough or powerful enough or smart enough in order to merit something. This grace word, charis, means unmerited favor. Favor that is shown on someone that doesn't deserve it. And yet this is the word God chooses throughout his scripture to define our relationship with God. A God who offers us grace, unmerited favor. Luther said this, and I love this quote from him. I'll put that up there. He said this, Grace is freely given to the most undeserving and unworthy and is not obtained by any strenuous efforts, endeavors, or works, either small or great. Not even by the efforts of the best and most honorable men who have sought and followed righteousness with a burning zeal. <laughs> uh, and like all Luther quotes, they're always run-on sentences. That's kind of funny, I think. We were just laughing beforehand. Luther wrote so much, and, and we are thankful, and all students of theology are very thankful that he didn't have a laptop, because imagine how much more he would have written. Um, and he wrote all this with pen. And, but that, that powerful mindset here says, you know, this is this freely giving. It's undeserved. It's unworthy to, to think we earn it. And, and that thought, even by those who have sought and followed righteousness with a burning zeal. Luther was powerful and strong on this one, that even those in the church who think by being diligent and white-knuckling our way and, and giving up and sacrificing much compared to others, if our thought is we are now in a better spot compared to others, in our salvation, in our place with God, by what we do or what we think, we are severely mistaken. We're climbing the wrong fence. Paul goes on in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. Not by works. Not by earning it. Not by meriting it. And where I think this gets a little confusing, and to clarify this, I mean, just before this section, it says, you know, we are dead in our sins, Paul says. And, and often we talk about that, you know, what does it mean to be truly dead? What can a dead man or a dead woman truly do? What are we capable of? How can we respond? And, and this is where our Lutheran theology differentiates from a lot of Christianity in this, that it is often taught, oh, Christians believe in, in free will. I hear that said a lot. And actually, as Lutheran, as Lutheran Christians, we do not believe in free will. In fact, this was one of the, uh, the key teachings that Luther brought to light through Scripture is that we believe in the bondage of the will, which is very different than the freedom of the will. Freedom of the will would teach this. We're born into this world, and we're spiritually and morally neutral. And that based on our decisions, we can either choose 
righteousness and to follow God, or we can choose, inherently in ourselves, choose to follow evil. Either one. And the question is, what are you going to do? And, and the thought is, freedom of the will. Am I going to follow God, or am I going to follow evil? And Luther says, if you read Scripture, and we let the whole counsel of God speak to us, we realize that even on the level of will and being born in this world, we are born uh, broken in our relationship with God. Um, even David cries out to God in, in Psalm 51, where he says, even in con- my conception, I was in sin. That we are dead in our sinfulness. And what can a dead person do? A dead person is simply waiting for revival and, and renewal. We can't do that. Only God can bring something back to life again. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest anyone would boast. Many of you know how important that verse is to me. I I was raised in a Lutheran church, went to church every Sunday with my family growing up. We, page 5 and 15 out of the red hymnal, TLH, it was the only way every Sunday. (laughs) And uh, that was the environment of, of my church upbringing, and, and I remember that well. Um, but somehow I missed something in that. Uh, I know that it was my first year as a freshman in high school. And uh, think about this this year as my daughter, Katie, just started her freshman year at Northwest. I went to a Lutheran high school, and this was a whole other story. But to be there, and, and, and I was originally against going there and, and how God just opened that door in ways I hadn't anticipated, but I didn't know why. And I remember sitting in the classroom my freshman year when Mr. Werner, uh, my religion teacher, not a flashy guy, not a dynamic guy, there was nothing super, you know, drawing, like, oh, he's an exciting, no, he was pretty straightforward, but you know what? He was a man of the word. And his hunger to know Jesus and to share Jesus and the spirit of God filling the classroom every day when we met. And, and one of the things that we did in that class is we, we read the scriptures. And we went home at night and we just read the Bible and we'd come back and we'd talk about it and learn about it. And I, I remember it early on in my freshman year. We were reading in Ephesians and chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. And Mr. Werner just simply steps up to the chalkboard. I don't think we had whiteboards, and we didn't have smart boards. We had a chalkboard still. And, and, and yes, I am that old. And, and he went up to the chalkboard, and he wrote the word grace, G-R-A-C-E. And then he wrote an equal sign. And then he drew a picture that I can only tell you was used by God to change the trajectory of my life and what I thought mattered. And before I tell you what he drew, I want you to tell, just tell you what that trajectory was. I was climbing a fence. I had it all figured out. I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I knew that my dad was a successful man in business. That seemed like the logical pattern. I wanted to be even more successful in business. I wanted to follow that pathway and and be very wealthy and and drive a BMW one day. (laughs) Or an American product, of course, right? That was what I thought really mattered. I also thought that it was about impressing people and making people like me and doing everything I could to say things in the right context and be smart. I also thought it was about being athletic enough and handsome enough and doing everything I could 
to earn my way into the keep and love of others, including God. And that's when Mr. Werner totally messed up my life. (laughs) Because on the other side of the equal sign, he drew a picture. And he wasn't a very good artist, but he drew a picture. It was a three-dimensional box. He put a ribbon on it, and he put a bow on top. I could recognize what it was. And it messed up my world in a huge way. Grace equals gift. And I remember the burning in my heart, in my mind, and I wanted to shout. I raised my hand. I said, Mr. Werner, are you trying to tell me and tell us that we are saved as a gift? And the class kind of turned around and looked at me like, how do you not know that? (laughs) And I just kept raising my hand. Like, are you saying that our faith, our Christianity isn't about, simply about Jesus comes, he, he does all these good things and, and shows us an example and a pattern to follow, how to be nice, and, and that if we're nice enough and we're good enough and, and we do a, enough good deeds in our lifetime that God might, if we're good enough, let us into heaven. Are you saying that that's not true? And again, the classroom's looking at it like, how do you not know the answer to that? I, I always thought that's how it works. He said, it's by grace we are saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works, not by what we do, not by earning it or deserving it or trying and striving and sweating and saying, I wonder if I'm ever going to be loved by God. And you know what? It doesn't work because it's the wrong fence. When our God climbs, not a fence, but climbs a cross for us. It's a hill that was uphill the whole way, and yet he purposely comes into this broken, fallen, hurting, sinned, sin-filled, messed-up, dead-filled world for us. And he faces it. And he climbs it. And he becomes the focal point in history that we might know his grace today. That you might know if you've been striving and sweating and overburdened and overwhelmed and wondering if I'm ever, ever going to be loved by God. May your search and your pursuit end today because it is done and a God who offers you his grace. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Not by works, it's a gift. And praise God for that gift. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for grace. Thank you for reminding us today we can never climb high enough or far enough or be strong enough or smart enough or pretty or handsome enough if it comes to earning our way into your love and your grace. But we thank you. Your grace is a gift. It's not based in what we've done. It's not based in what we haven't done. It's not based in in our failures. It's based in your love and forgiveness and mercy today. Thank you for grace. Grace alone, through faith alone, through your word alone, in Jesus alone. Amen.